Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life. Conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show I'm calling Clear to the Top, uh, kind of a pun on the name of our special guest, conversation with Sam Clear, walker, talker, and now filmmaker, or I'll call him that anyway. I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Sam Clear, the man who walked fair across reasonable proportion of the landmass of, of the earth in a horizontal direction that is and uh, has been a special guest speaker in many schools and gatherings and has recently turned his hand to screen filming or oh, it's not so recent isn't this is your second major project in film so you're it is. producing you're producing a new series and we're going to talk a little bit about that today in uh in the context of the background story so before we get started just a reminder to everyone else that if you like the show, you should subscribe on your podcast app and that way you won't miss an episode. Okay, let's get stuck into it. Clear to the top is a reference to your name, Sam Clear. What Which seems to be thing? every single time I do something, there is some sort of pun made with my name. But even my grandparents named their property Clearview. Oh. <laughs> so it's pretty normal. It's good to see you, Yeah, Peter. well, it's, not, it's nice and um, convenient, that particular name. I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, bore you all by going through all the possible misuses of the name Holmes. Um, yes. <laughs> that I got in high school. So <laughs> anyway. Um, I'm just looking forward to having started. a daughter and calling her Crystal. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, was, you were saying that a moment ago, the, the recent filming project, it feels like it's not so recent because they do tend to draw out. And yes. the filming for it was February last year. Right. So, so it's towards been a- two years and there was a good yeah. year of planning before that. Right. So a total of three years so far. Yes, nearly. And the yeah. concept was hatched back in 2007. So wow. it's been a long time coming. Well, but I suspect that things. the thought patterns behind it, even before the planning, started a long way earlier. The, As far as I can tell, the film project comes from a prior um, activity, which is that you walked pretty much clear across the globe. Uh, in a horizontal direction, at least. Yes, although a fair bit of it was vertical in that I went from, uh, I started in South America and right. walked firstly from Brazil to Canada. So that's wow. around 10,000 kilometres, and that's predominantly on a north-northwest trage- trajectory. Right. Uh, from there, I flew across the Bay Ring straight into Vladivostok in Russia. I took the train through Siberia. Uh, it was middle of winter. 300 kilometres between each village and averaging minus 40 in the daytime. So not a I great time to be on foot? No, not at all. No, don't go outside. And then I started walking again from Moscow and walked right. from St. Basil's Cathedral in the Red Square down to Rome. That took about four months. And then right. from the Vatican City around the Mediterranean and out along the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain uh, to yes. Cape Finisterre. Um, so five five and a half months in total from Moscow to Spain, but uh, in total nineteen months, five hundred and sixty eight days of walking, and simply wow. praying for the complete unity of the church in truth right. and in love. Simple mission. That's a pr- difficult to it execute. It is a simple mission, and it means that you um, firstly you you obviously had a background in um, wanting to walk. Had you done much walking before you went on this epic tour? I had, and a lot more than I think most people would would actually recognise. Simple things like 
well before the walk, I remember dropping my Land Rover Discovery off to be serviced in Melbourne. It was 11 kilometres to my office, and I thought, I'll drop it off at 7, and if I start walking there, I'll get to the office just in time to start work at 9. <laughs> and did you? Yeah, I did. I made it there fine. It was 5.5 k's an hour, and right. that's a good walking pace. <laughs> and I a played a rosary. Pace. Yeah, I prayed a rosary as I walked and then a bit of intercessory prayer. It was just a nice start to the day. So that sort of thing was, yeah, very much a part of my makeup. Even at the moment, uh, I'm talking to you from the family farm in central Tasmania. We have one and a half thousand acres. There's a mountain at the back of the farm. Right. I used to climb that regularly. I was always getting bogged at the back of the farm and having to walk home. So, yes. But looking at your I bio, will. Sam, you, um, you've also played a bit of sport in your early life. Is that correct? Like yes, and to be honest, sport. that's where the walk the walking wasn't really something I loved. It was more a byproduct of living a life that was super fit. Right. And so the idea of walking eleven Ks perhaps for me was like someone else walking four blocks. <laughs> uh, my life revolved around sport. Um I played right. AFL reserves as a teenager until I broke my back. Ouch. Uh, I was a four hundred meter runner professionally. I played cricket at a fairly high level. Uh, I was a state high jump champion. I played <laughs> basketball for Tasmania. Right. My life revolved around sport. So the right. walking was more a byproduct of that. So once once the back had went had gone, you found a new activity that was um had brought together a whole bunch of things. Because walking it isn't did. just about the exercise, is it? Was it was it Dietrich, now you're the theologian, was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said that our vocation in life is where our, our great love and the world's great need com- combine or collide? That's, that's correct. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> My degree is engineering, so I'm glad I'm happy when I get these things right. Right. Uh, and it was. It was a case of my great love being physical activity and my other great love of being God, Jesus, and particularly seeing the, the broken church. Right. Um, and seeing that certainly what I was experiencing was a loss of debate when people saw errors in either the church or the or errors in teaching that the natural way to react to that is to debate or to argue and whilst there is incredible merit in arguing a point certainly the way that it was that it was being undertaken was counterproductive there was a yep. an in- incredible lack of efficiency yeah in achieving it, I the think end it's result more than that though sam i think um efficiencies are, that you're being very kind there i think if when people host a public debate between protestants and catholics for example i get invited to these not so much these days because i've said no to them all but in the public debates between protestants and catholics there's almost never an outcome where any you know there's any greater understanding between the two it's just the different sides go away trying to determine who won, in inverted commas. It's yes, not actually and they about tend to unity. bring their own crowd with them yes. who've already made their mind up and they are supporting their particular person. Mind you, I did hear one recently, which was um, Trent Horan, I think, mm-hmm. in a debate, and I can't remember who the Protestant guy who was debating, but they actually did conclude by, it was very awkward at the end of it, they turned to each other and said, so do we agree with each other? And they were, it wasn't the result they were looking for. They were actually confused that they had ended by realising they actually agree. Uh, yes. But I was, I was in a meeting in Melbourne 
I was work. I worked for six years in Catholic youth ministry full time. I was invited into a meeting in Melbourne with lots of other uh, churches and denominations, and they had some issues they'd raised about youth or teenagers specifically. I sprouted out some theology of the body from St. John Paul II. I didn't say where it came from. Mm-hmm. I just happened to be on a bit of a binge at that moment listening to a lot of uh, Christopher West on Theology of the Body. And so I just retorted what I'd heard, which I thought was fantastic, and they thought it was brilliant, and it prompted one of the guys to ask, where'd you get this from? And I made the mistake of saying where I got it from. (laughs) And they actually asked me to leave the meeting. Oh, yes. The guy running the meeting apologised to me and said, if we ever do some interfaith dialogue, we'd be more than happy to have you along, but today it's just Christians. Yeah, and not, not Catholics, one of yeah. the guys in the meeting, he who was he was the first one to speak, and he'd said he just sprouted out. I thought this was just Christians today, like Catholics yeah. don't believe in God, and that started their conversation, which resulted in them in them asking me to leave. Um, I had initially began inviting my non-Catholic Christian friends to at least pray for the complete unity of the church, and it was almost invariably met with, "No, unity exists; you just aren't a part of it." Yeah. Well, I mean, but then, honestly, as soon as you say unity, you, there's a certain definition of unity that needs to be reached because there is. Uh, the, there Can in I the say there's a certain definition of unity that needs to be smashed? <laughs> well, there's several of them, can I say, because I've, I've been on the um, evangelical um, side of this particular fence and the Lutheran side, which is a very different thing. Mm. Uh, it's similar to the Anglican uh, in some ways. And then now I'm very much a Catholic. What I've found is that when we're talking the same language, we don't often mean the same things. And so yes. I, I think the two fallacies with regards to Christian unity are, one is that it's impossible that all we have to do is argue with them and prove them wrong until they finally just go, okay, we were wrong, we'll all become you. Beat them um, into or, submission. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's an adversarial model. So, you know, we take them on kind of thing. Or on the other end of the spectrum seems to be let's all just be friends and pretend there's no differences, kiss and make up. And the differences are actually very important, but they're not um, prohibitive to discussion. They're not uh, the the close of the door, you know. And so there's a danger. And people on one side will often point to the fallacies on the other side and say it's not just ignoring the problems. And the other side says it's not being nasty to people. And they're both right. (laughs) We've got to get to somewhere in the middle. There are two pillars in uh, walking towards complete unity. They are truth and they are love. Yeah. And we need both of them. And look, let's. I think we've got to be honest about it and say that we aren't going to achieve unity. This is in God's hands. And the primary example of unity we have is the Trinity. And that's what we are called into. So we might as well get used to working towards complete unity now. I agree. Oh, in fact, not just now. I think it's been the since Christ prayed that they may be one in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's he was looking forward to these moments, these these times. Yeah. Having said that, the the you've talked about the truth and love there. Um, in many respects, from a human perspective, can I put it to you that um, perhaps the order is actually more love than truth? Because yes, in I the agree. Mod- in the modern times, um, we often talk about speaking the truth in love, but there's the love part seems to be mostly invisible in when we're actually speaking the truth. Um, yeah. or and we tend to we, omit also love them even when you don't agree with them. 
and you don't have yeah. to always pick a fight with them. Love them, love yeah. them, love them. And there's so many. Also, the differences get accentuated to the point where there's so we're focusing on them so hard that they become a, a much bigger issue than the problem. So, um, I have many relatives. In fact, all of my relatives are not Catholic, and so our conversations are limited in in how, what we can agree on. But we can agree on so much. At the very mm. least, we can both agree on a, a tasty meal. You know, the human basic human level, we can agree on. Uh, things of goodwill, how to help people, practical problems. We can come even up, uh, you know, depending if they're Christian, you can come quite a way up the chain to, to, to mutually agreed assumptions. And while acknowledging differences, we can work on those differences in a civilized and genuinely um, human way, in Christ-like way, without, um, without causing antagonism. I wonder, Sam. You've had a, you've pushed this these buttons for quite for a lot of your life now. I'm wondering if you've had the same experience as me. I find that people are more the people who are insecure in their own faith are the ones who are much more likely to become agitated or scared about having genuine conversations about Christian unity. You actually said it reminds me of an Oscar Wilde quote. Which What's was that? that uh, I've got to remember what it was. Uh, fanaticism is overcompensation for doubt. <laughs> uh, That's actually not a bad one. Fanaticism is, in fact, one way to describe um, people who are single-mindedly uh, I, in the idea that I'm me and I'm my right. tribe in particular are right, yeah. and therefore everyone else must be not just wrong, but in some way morally wrong. Mm. Um. And so, and it, uh, that that is certainly the, the really difficult element of walking towards complete unity in love and in truth, mm. because we have so many different. I'm going to say sides, but just for simplicity, who genuinely believe that they are right. Yes. And so, how do you work towards a point where you have? numerous, not just two, but numerous viewpoints that are conflicting. Yes. Uh, and so this was this was the the basis of the walk around the world was that the one thing that I genuinely could get people to agree on after a small discussion is that the church is not completely united. Excellent. Therefore, would you agree to pray for the complete unity of the church? At that <laughs> level. That's excellent. People would say yes, I'd be happy to. Now, occasionally yes. they didn't. Um, in fact, sometimes it would turn physical. Really? Uh, I was yeah. I was pinned to the ground in Guatemala, and had two guys pray what I think was a prayer of exorcism over me. <laughs> and then well, back you're away, pretty safe nodding. there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hopefully it worked. <laughs> um, so it wasn't wasn't always met with. With kindness, but for the most part, people agreed that yes, there's a mission here. It has to be said, though, that truth does play an essential role in that unity because, um, as we said, one of the extremes which is unhelpful is to ignore the truth, to simply pretend we're all on the same team. Well, are we really? Does Is someone who mm. says God is a giant banana on the same team? No, it isn't. Is someone <laughs> who says God wants us to be violent on the same team? No, no, he isn't. And so well, you mentioned a, there, before that there's different definitions of unity. Another classic is is the word worship. Right. There are some very different definitions of what worship is, and certainly a Catholic understanding is that there's almost always sacrifice involved. Yes. In worship, 
and yet other people would see worship as simply the way I pray. Right. And nothing else. And there's, there is. There, there's certainly a, a depth if we, yes. And, and well, this, this is, is the problem I have with talking to Protestant friends and relatives is that we're using the same words and they're not the same definitions. And so yeah. a huge part of the, the conversation is, hang on, what do you mean when you say X? Can you explain mm. to me more what you mean by that? Because, no, for example, Lutherans and Catholics released a joint statement on justification many years ago. Um, yes. Geez, it's a while now. It's 20 years yep. ago now, something like that. And I read it as someone who had just was, was actually just leaving the Lutheran church to become a Catholic. And I was thinking the two different groups here are saying, they're being honest in what they're saying, but they mean different things. They're holding, mm. as in then they're not, they don't mean the same thing. What now, I remember specifically from that joint statement was that immediately after that, a group, a heap of Lutheran churches put out a public sa statement saying, you don't represent us, we disagree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, look, here's, this brings us to the next point, Sam. Disagreement in itself, a disagreement on a particular point is not an enemy of unity because um, it doesn't necessarily have to be an enemy of unity. Let me put it that way. I find that I'm closer to agreement with someone who's prepared to say to my face, I think the Pope's the Antichrist, than I am yes. with someone who, who says, oh, none of this really matters anyway. Can't we just all love and get along? Because if someone believes in truth, if someone believes that, you know, certain things are of the truth, and then I can talk to them. You know, we can actually mm. discuss, well, well, then what is truth? This is how, how the councils came about. I mean, the, the Council of Jerusalem, there's disagreement. Yes. And it's, it's actually in sorting it out that we bring about unity. Yeah. It's not but sweeping it's done, it under the carpet. Yeah, you don't sweep it under the carpet. You actually, It's like a married couple. You have to actually address the, the elephant in the room. You have to actually bring out the issue and talk about it. All right. We probably need to talk about um, where it went from here. You came back from this walk, and clearly it was uh, interesting for some people because someone filmed you revisiting some of those uh, air areas, didn't they? You Didn't you have a yes. film crew so, follow yes. you around? Yes, I got back from the journey, and I should say this, initially I didn't want to talk about it at all. I had nearly right. died 11 times. Wow. I'd been held at gunpoint three times, knife point by four men, uh, stung by a scorpion that stopped my heart beating. Uh, I had a heart arrhythmia in Russia due to the severe stress and weight loss, um, uh, beaten up a few times, face-to-face -face with a puma, two bedroom invasions in the middle of the night, had to fight the men off. Uh, you know, some pretty horrific things happened over the course of the journey. I got home right. and people were asking really basic questions and I just remember staring at them like a deer in the headlights thinking, I don't know where to start. And so <laughs> I just didn't want to talk to people. Uh, it's a pretty fantastic was, story overall. Yeah, look, and I'm really grateful for that now in that I have a full-time job. I don't work as an engineer. I have a full-time job as a retreat facilitator in high schools. I facilitate right. reflection days in predominantly Catholic schools. I do some corporate work on leadership and communication. I had to learn nine languages over the course of the journey, and I had to invite people who wanted to fight me to pray for unity. So there's actually a lot that I can pick up at a, at a corporate level. Uh, in actually doing this work, so facilitating reflection days, uh, we're looking at usually 95% of the students are not church going. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a pretty accurate. Yeah. So hence, despite the fact that I don't have 
a degree in theology. I am not a priest. I'm still in a position to facilitate a reflection day for these students because of the experience of the walk around the world. It, to an extent, it is my extra degree. Right. It's a degree in life. You probably learn more on that than most people would in a degree, to be honest. So it's a matter of unpacking that. And I've got some, some great friends, priests uh, specifically, who have helped me to unpack that journey and then repackage it so that I can then invite the students into considering their position before God and first and foremost that God exists, where they stand before God. And a big part of this is the humanity of the story. And, mm. and this is where, the, as you were saying, the, the film production, the first one came about because one of the clinch moments of the journey was in Panama where I, I met a young man who was starving. His wife and daughter were starving and yet he went door knocking to find me food because no one else in the village would take me in because they all thought I was an American uh. and I wasn't welcome. Uh, and we actually went back to find him. I still have his daughter's Dino doll, her one and only toy, which they gave me to remember them so that I wouldn't forget to pray for them, that they'd survive. Wow. Um, he wow. was leaving them the next day to go and find work 200 kilometres away. He confided that in me, but he hadn't told his wife and daughter he wasn't going to because he knew that they wouldn't let him leave. But he had to in order to find work so that he could send money home so they could eat, they could survive. Wow. So initially when I began the journey in Brazil, it was all about truth. It was let's have a really good conversation about the Eucharist and let's have a good conversation about authority. And then all of a sudden in meeting this guy in Panama who was starving, who was his wife and daughter were starving and he was about to leave them to go and find work 200 kilometers away but confided in me that he hadn't told them and wasn't going to tell them because he figured they wouldn't let him go and yet he went door knocking for me to find food for me and gave me accommodation in their tin shed where they lived and I had to sling my hammock up alongside them for the night it was in meeting him and then three more things that happened in the three weeks to follow that put that into perspective that really the greatest scandal we have is disunity in love. Not, it's almost, if you put it this way, you've got the nut in the middle being truth, but you've got the fruit around the outside right. being yep. love. And, and when you say disunity in love, you mean a disproportionate attention to, um, to some parts of the church. Uh, I mean, Paul, St. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians when he, when he berates them uh, for the rich members of um, Corinthian parish pigging out on the Eucharist and leaving none for the others. It's a it's mm. sort of a, an image of, you know, the Western church, which is filthy rich and lots of lots of uh, things going for it, and yet uh, our, our brothers well, and sisters elsewhere. Actually, it gets a little narrower than that because it goes back to that village, which we'd look at and, and think that everyone in the village deserved something from Project Compassion. But... Everyone else in the village had ample food, had jobs, had houses with lockable doors, gas cylinders outside for their stoves, some had satellite TVs, and none of them would talk to him because he wasn't born there. He was not one of them. Wow. All of them in the village went to the same Catholic church. Oh, dear. So this became a case of we're not talking about disunity between denominations. We are talking about a Catholic community 
where there is one person on the fringes who moved there six months ago because his wife's parents lived in the village and they right. were struggling. So they'd moved there to, to help them. And he actually cracked up crying over breakfast the next day, which was a bread roll and a cup of lemongrass tea that he'd made from scratch. And through tears, he said, you're the first person to speak to me in six months. Wow. And he yet said, he was the one friends. with the generosity to take you in. Yeah. So not only has he given me extraordinary hospitality, but a, almost more than anyone, he probably had the the right to ignore me. Right. The, they're fighting for their lives, and yet he's the one who shows the hospitality. And, and he had to leave his wife and daughter, and he did do that. I found out later that he did leave right, uh, without them knowing. And everyone in the village not only had the ability to, but really had an obligation to help him, and they refused to because he's not one of us. And right. what I've seen in getting back to Australia is that it happens in, in almost every parish to an extent. Yeah. Uh, well, part, a, part of our problem is that we haven't, um, I mean, Catholics have a very strong history of social justice initiatives like St. Vincent de Paul's and other things like that, but we tend to institutionalise it so that the, mm. there's groups that do it instead of persons. Like we don't, we're not great at personally getting involved in local people's lives and trying to help out where we can. I remember it becoming, when I was a Lutheran, and I, I used to go into parishes and pretend I was just a layman when I was a minister, I just when I was visiting a potential yes. new parish and you could tell the parishes who was actually trying to be you know in that sense generously christian because people would chase after you after come come mm. come around we're going to have a coffee with us you want to and meals and i have some dear friends still now from that that time when they when they sought us out and tried to be you know as welcoming in very practical hospitality ways and and therefore they get to know what your real needs are and they can actually help address them as well yes yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it was probably the biggest lesson that I brought out of the journey and brought back home was was a realization that I, I need to do this because I too often yeah. find myself on the villagers' side, yeah, where I'm not getting involved. It's not through malice; it's just simply through a lack of care. It's someone else's issue. Sometimes it's there lack of awareness, though, help. isn't it, Sam? That we just don't know it that is, exists. That yeah, I haven't asked. And in Australia, it, it's not necessarily. It can be like just money and, and food. But in Australia, we're much more likely to find needs that aren't as visible on the surface. Um, the human needs, which are very basic needs, such as friendship and, yes. and genuine uh, listening ear and, and things which cost us because you have to listen to that dreary old fellow over there. <laughs> they're kind of yeah. they're things that cost us and we have to invest in people, but they're genuine needs of human beings. And, and if we're not looking out for them and if we're not aware of them, yeah. yeah. We've got some friends here in uh, Australia who, when they moved to Australia from overseas, the first person to say hello to them after Mass was five years after they started going to Mass there. Uh. And you just, and it was, it was, it was our parish and just the sheer embarrassment that set in for yes. everyone. Because by that stage, you know, eventually, but when we're having the conversation, they're well and truly a part of our community and, you know, we go around to each place, each other's place for dinner and they just happened to let us in on how difficult it was for them when yeah. they first arrived. Part of the yeah. problem with Catholic parishes, and if we can talk to this specifically, in Australia, historically, Catholic parishes haven't been where they even socialised with each other. They went to Mass mm -hmm. and then they did their social work and their, their in community engagement elsewhere. 
Like so, things such as the Legion of Mary, Saint Vincent de Paul, all of these very, very excellent outreach um, methods have been a bit corporatized, and it's become a bit more of a machine. And the, I, the I think saying a bit is generous in some instances. <laughs> okay, they've been. It basically has fallen off the average person's radar, and it hasn't become yeah. the the ordinary habit of ordinary Christians to meet that way. I have to say, Sam, that as a Protestant who came to the Catholic Church, when I first turned up to Catholic Mass, I thought I must have forgotten to put on my own arm deodorant or something because Catholics just split after Mass. They just go. And if they do hang around, it's only to catch someone they already know. There's not a culture of it, whereas in the, the Protestant communities, they that's their whole summation of what church is, is that Sunday mm. thing. And so they've invested everything in that. Now, there are, there are downfalls to that because they tend to see the church very much located in their own suburb and they only conceptually, they find it very difficult to look outwards to the rest of the world and to even to other, you know, other Christians outside their own little hub. Can we perhaps nail this down a little bit more? You went, you, you've been facilitating retreats and, and helping young people, um, you know, learn from some of these big lessons and, and also join you hopefully in the prayer for Christian unity. But this, can you talk about where the idea for Source and Summit, this um, project that you've been involved with, came from? Yeah. So the, the very first project was called The Road to Adolfo. So it actually wasn't about my walk. I went back with a film crew and we found Adolfo again, who was the, sorry, he's the guy in Panama. I'm dropping his name right, without, excellent. I hadn't mentioned it okay. before. He's the guy in Panama, and we managed to find him and his family. And thankfully, it was an amazing story of what had happened, one of Providence. So uh, that, that was quite incredible. So that was the first project. Once I was back in schools, and I facilitate oh, anywhere in a non-COVID year, anywhere between 80 and 140 reflection days in high schools around Australia each year. And what, I'm, what I was finding was that in the middle session, I'd always ask the same question, which is, why do we struggle to trust God? And I would simply facilitate the students' responses. And what I was finding was, invariably, I could write the list up on the screen before they answered it, and then once they finished, just click a button and there they are. I, I didn't have to write them up each week or each day that I'm in a, in a different school. Because this they is a were common same, experience across, across yes. human beings. Yes. And, and and there's a set category that they pretty much all fall into. And then it got me thinking that, okay, this is actually pretty good. If we know what these categories are, then, and there are some amazing answers for some of these. Now, unfortunately, I don't have the time, nor do I have the theological training really to get stuck into a lot of these. The reason that I bring it up with students is simply to almost almost vindicate that yeah, th these are real issues. And, and it's, it's, a, it's great that you have the questions. Yes. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, so if anyone says, oh, there's so much suffering in the world, so how can you trust God? At that point, I'll affirm them and say, you know what, St. Aquinas, one of the smartest saints the church has ever seen, actually agrees with you that it's so difficult to trust God because of suffering, the problem with suffering. And so, yeah, we'll stick that up on the screen as well. So actually affirming them that, Yes, these are difficult reasons to trust God. Scandal in the church, or I've never seen God, or whatever it may be. Um, and over time, though, what started to eat at me is, it would be great to, to give them some really good answers on these subjects, but 
I wish that I had these friends and those friends to come in and just give them a, a snippet of right. what these are. And I have to say this, in answering these questions, it's, it's not the final answer because establishing that God exists or establishing that God does love us is not relationship with Jesus. Even that God exists can be a dangerous thing. I remember talking to some Jewish friends who were atheists and, um, and I asked them what, being a young fellow, I was pretty pushy and I said, um, why won't, you know, what's stopping you from believing in God? And they said, I've been hurt so much that if there is a God, I'd have to hate him. And I mm. don't want to hate him, so I'm not going to believe in him. It was this really interesting kind of, yeah. it was, and uh, as I pointed out to them at the time, that is relational. It's not a great relational thing. It's not a, a great relationship, but it's still a relationship. Yeah. And I think that's a fairly common uh, experience for a lot of yes. people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And a, a theology without suffering, a theology that doesn't account for suffering isn't really much of a theology. No. no. And so this is the idea came about when I was doing the walk around the world. I had a little notebook with me, which I used to write the most random things in, ideas. Yep. Some of these ideas I'm doing right now, I'm building a retreat, a Catholic retreat center here in Tasmania on a mountain. Oh, wow. It's in the book. <laughs> uh, the design has changed, but the idea was there. And I finally found my plot of land, 19 acres on Mount Roland. So it's happening. But one of the other ideas was for a secular TV show called Climb to the Top, where I would climb a mountain, different mountain every episode, with a guest like Steve Waugh, yep. former captain of the Australian cricket team. And I would interview him on his life and, and the climb to the top of the cricket cricketing world whilst we climb his favourite mountain right. and you'd end each episode on top of the mountain. That was the initial idea and I thought it had some merit. I thought it would work well. That then combined with this need that I was seeing in reflection days in Catholic schools and I thought, actually, I like this idea even better. How about get some friends and I force them to climb different mountains because <laughs> I, I, want to get, I want to get some different perspectives. So, Full disclaimer I, to the listener, um, I am one of the unfortunates who was forced to climb to the top of one of the mountains. So. <laughs> you, you scored, though, because you I had did. the shortest I the, climb. I got the shortest climb and and quite possibly the one easiest access to uh, an airport. So Yes. No, it was the most central. We uh, Yours was Mount <laughs> Wellington in Hobart. That's right. And we, we started climbing from halfway up because you can because there's a car park there. <laughs> so, But... Uh, Peter was alongside Archbishop um, Julian Porteous yes. Hobart, and Sister Mary Emanuel from the yes. Immaculata. And your topic was on – we'd started – yours is the final episode. We started in episode one with does God exist, as in is there evidence for God's existence? And we had hiked an extraordinarily difficult mountain with three guests and they were unpacking – the evidence for God's existence. And we concluded with your episode, which is, can you actually encounter God? Right. And it, there was everything in between. What's that? The, let's talk about the format of it. You've got, I think, is it eight, is it eight episodes? Seven. Seven episodes. Seven episodes. Oh, that's a nice holy number. Um, <laughs> which uh, in each episode, there are a small number of people who went up the mountain with you. You put difficult questions, which you had heard from students in all in your different retreats. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. So I'm and playing they, student's advocate. 
Yes, and the, and you were, I mean you were good at that. You you pushed us quite hard. You didn't just take Thanks. nice cushy answers. Um, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing the end result because we film quite a lot, and it'll be a, a shortish um, result, I guess. What's the yeah, end episode going to be? Half an hour episodes. Right. There you go. So they're very watchable. And um, when do you see it? Like the project's been going on for some ne- some time now. Is there an end in sight? There is, and it's we're getting to the exciting part now because the first thing we had to do was was actually tag and catalogue seven mountains worth of footage from four different cameras plus four GoPros plus a drone plus the <laughs> microphone recordings from three guests per episode and me on every episode. All of that took a year to catalogue everything. What I, and, and that was actually a job that I took on. From my engineering background, I quite liked that as my job. Right. So I did the interviewing and and I did the cataloging and the rest of it, you know, <laughs> there, there was a director and there's a uh, there's a there's an editor. But I have given the editor an Excel spreadsheet with absolutely everything in it, and it's all given a rating out of four from my perspective. And that's shortening the process. Uh, we have a meeting next Wednesday. Uh, I've already seen the original short we decided to do episode four first which is the one on scandal because that one specifically i want to be able to give to those three guests well before anyone else to get their approval that they are happy with what's going to go to to go to the schools and go to air um so we did that one first and we were happy with i was quite happy with the structure uh, the editor is now working on all seven episodes at the same time, and next Wednesday I'll get to see the first draft of all seven episodes. Lovely. Uh, we are, yeah, so we're, we're steaming ahead now. It was certainly slow going to start with. We're running downhill now. So um, if someone's listening to this and thinking, hey, I wouldn't mind getting a piece of this, is this exclusive to uh, Sam Clear's school runs or is it is it going to be available to the, the public? Is it going to be on DVD or what's going on? In a beautiful uh, God incidence, just as we were starting to film, we managed through Perusia Media and Charbel Raish, we managed to get a connection with EWTN. Right. And so some of the camera gear was actually EWTN's camera gear for the filming. So what that means is there will there will be an opportunity either through Perusia Media or th- through or and through EWTN to actually view it uh, there. We're also, though, did you see The Chosen? I did, so, so far at least. It's still coming out. I, same. I, I still haven't seen all of the episodes of the, the, the first season, but I liked the way they did that. Mm. And I wouldn't mind doing a similar thing, while Source and Summit is a much smaller project and very different project, to simply make it available online basically free and if people are able to make a donation to do that for the schools themselves yes there'll be a a fee for the schools it's part of their curriculum uh, and we're putting together some resources to go with the series so that teachers mm. can use it to best effect but yeah, for everyone else the wider public things yeah yeah it, it should be available online uh free of charge at this stage that's probably the way we're going but I, but don't right. quote me on that because we haven't made that official decision <laughs> But Look, I, it's, I worth, think the, it's worth the money. I mean, as I understand it, you back this mostly yourself, but there's a lot of work that's gone into such a thing and there's a lot of people who've volunteered their time as well in, in addition mm. to the people who were paid to work there. And 
in terms of what you hope to get from the project, what would you say if someone says, what are you hoping to achieve by this, um, the end result? To be honest, it's it's very similar to the reflection days. When you're working with 95% of the students who go, don't go to church, the one of the greatest things that I hear at the end of the day are students coming up to say thank you and saying, I'm an atheist, but now I'm not sure. <laughs> and and for, for the students who do go to mass, who do go to church, just to see that glint in their eye of feeling encouraged. Yeah. And so through Source and Summit, that it's going to raise questions and give some really loving answers to those hard yeah. questions that's going to actually help them to overcome the obstacle that's in the way. Yep. Yep. Because you've still got the really big question of, do we actually trust God? Yep. Do we place our, our trust in God and do we build relationship yep. with God through Jesus? Part, so, part of the problem seems to be that people haven't actually realised that the, uh, the genuine faith life is a constant one of struggle with, you know, to to comprehend, to ask questions of. I mean, all the Psalms are people asking really hard questions of God or mm. demands or or yelling at God sometimes and going, what the heck is going on? And the 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 name that God gave to his people, Yisrael, means wrestles with God. It, it literally the name of God's people means to struggle with God, to wrestle mm. with God. It's we're not supposed to be just sitting, you know, hands folded in a classroom saying, yes, God, whatever you say, God. The whole relationship with God is set up to be an ongoing kind of struggle to understand and make sense and sometimes a disgruntled uh, complaint about what the heck is going on? What have you done, God? It was St. Teresa of Avila who uh, was pushing her bogged cart in the snow and the horse bolted as she pushed the cart and she landed face first in the, in the snowy mud. <laughs> and one of the other sisters overheard her say under a breath, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you got so few. <laughs> I think there's plenty of saints who have grappled with why. Why is it like this? God, where are you right now? Yes, yes. Uh, and, and it's a valid question. And it's a valid question of our, our struggle and our understanding. And quite often our life is a struggle to understand these things. However, there's, um, there's danger in... I think the main danger is in oversimplifying it either way, either that, no, I'm not going to even think about that, God doesn't exist, or God exists, therefore I'm not allowed to question, which is even mm. more dangerous because it yeah. misrepresents God in some way. Mm. And I think it's probably the first one. I know it's really important to pick up on that second one, but I think it's the first one that a lot of students would just need a little bit of encouragement with. Yes. To, to, yeah. All right, actually, let's, let's have that conversation for you. Yep. Because a lot of the students think it, but they wouldn't necessarily contemplate it. Yeah. From both the walk around the world and through what was discussed in Source and Summit and the actual filming of it, the the one quote that resonates so deeply with me, St. John Paul II, adversity allows our love to become beautiful. That is possibly the best way to finish up this particular section. Honestly, that's an awesome quote. Adversity allows our love to become beautiful. Yeah, I'm going to call it on that note. That's a great way to end it. Um, that's You're it for this week's podcast. <laughs> if today's discussion got you thinking and arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe at the at the website, thiscatholiclife.com.au, or you can tell us what we should do better at the same time. On Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord, you can find all the links in the show notes. Be sure to write, write us a review on iTunes. 
let other people know what's going on. This is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast. We think that's an idea worth getting behind. Now, on that note, I usually just say a shout out here, but my friend Sam here has his own podcast, which I'm going to highly recommend. Um, and hopefully he can give you a plug now. So, Sons of Thunder, if uh, you'd like to benefit from our ignorance, you are welcome <laughs> to join us on Sons of Thunder. Uh, myself, Marty McFarlane, who is uh, an engineering consultant, usually in charge of billion-dollar mines, but a very devout and it doesn't mince his words kind of Catholic, and right. Father Dave Callahan from the Missionaries of God's Love. He's the one who has the education. And, right. Uh, if, if all of a sudden that you've run out of this Catholic Life podcast, you're welcome to jump over for some light entertainment as we grapple I think, with our ignorance. Well, three, three good Catholic guys having a genuine, ordinary conversation is an excellent way to, to spend a little bit of time. Okay, you, are, you are actually in one of our episodes, incidentally, because I messaged you in the middle asking, <laughs> because we didn't know the answer, so I actually messaged you. I said, I've got a friend in Sydney, I'll message him now. Well, I didn't mention you by name, but you're in it by text. There you go, there you go. All right. Thanks, Sam, for being on. That's all for now. Thank you for listening to This Catholic Life. <laughs> <laughs>